0: Welcome to That's Orgasmic, a podcast discussing the orgasmic and not so orgasmic moments of all things sex, relationships, and mental health. I am your host, Emily Duncan, and I'm a sexologist who provides online sex coaching sessions to help you cultivate sexual wellness this podcast is being recorded on Wadahwurrung land. We pay our respect to the traditional custodians of this country and elders past and present. We extend that respect to any First Nations, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people joining us today. Please enjoy this episode. So I'm here with Hugh today and I am super excited. So welcome to That's Orgasmic.
1: Thanks so much, Emily. Lovely to be here. Thanks for um, making the time to have me on the show.
0: So I'd first love to begin with, I guess, telling a bit about your background and your company, Drip.
1: So my name's Hugh Crothers. My pronouns are he and him. I'm based in uh, Melbourne or Nam, and uh, I'm the founder of a sexual wellbeing brand uh, called Drip. It's all uh, we make all our products here in Melbourne. We sort of sit in that, you know, more premium considered ingredients and formulations um, around, yeah, things like packaging as well. And then we dermatologically test everything. Um, Yeah, just trying to really elevate uh, the experience of products that people use uh, in the bedroom. Uh, We launched two years ago. So we launched in December of 2021 with products. um, And that has been a huge journey since. Uh, And in addition to the products under the brand Drip, we also have a content blog, uh, which is all community informed called the Drip Feed, which we launched in July of 2021. So six months before the products. And on there, you can find free community informed content around uh, kink, sex, shame, um, fetish, uh, all sorts of different explorations, kind of like a, a you can't ask that of sex um, but not being informed by me, being informed by people in the community. So we go and speak specifically to uh, sex workers, sex therapists, sexologists, um, yeah, community members, artists, activists, and whoever, uh, mainly in the Australian community, uh, but also um, abroad. And then we also have uh, fortnightly or, or monthly playlists we release called drip mixes, which are playlists to have sex to. So you can follow us on Spotify, Um, uh, under Drip, Sex and Intimacy, we release monthly playlists by DJs uh, to create sort of moments of intimacy or mood for people uh, that are all free as well. So essentially we create the content and everything for free for everybody, um, which uh, the products then pay for um, the creation of all of that content because we obviously pay all of our contributors, but the community can access it for free. Kind of trying to be a bit of a a love letter to my 18-year-old self so I came out, I'm 35 now, um, I came out when I was 18 and I think uh, I think I was expecting um, a bit of an understanding or a Bible to land um, around how to have sex and I really had no experience in that and there was obviously a, a huge amount of shame uh, associated with gay sex um, because I'd grown up in, I don't know, middle class Australia in the sort of Howard era, which is probably before your time, Emily, because you're <laughs> significantly younger than me. Um, but it was a pretty conservative time, pretty homophobic time. Um, the rhetoric around, uh, yeah, gay marriage or, um, yeah, even even sort of informed by the AIDS crisis uh, that was taking place in the sort of early 90s um, informed a lot of my access to sex education um, and, yeah, just awareness around how to engage with people sexually, um, conversations of consent or, Um, of kink or yeah interest and I think queer communities are really good at teaching one another um, uh, a lot of this stuff and uh, that was something that I was trying to harness uh, in creating intergenerational information being passed down so um, you know like a a gay uncle might teach you um, stuff not necessarily anything from an opportunistic standpoint where they're you know being a bit of a sleaze or trying to have sex with you, but really just trying to be that agony aunt or agony uncle that can give you information. Because I think a lot of, and my experience was like this, but a lot of parents don't talk to their children about sex at all. Mm. Um, And maybe, you know, there may be a conversation around condom use or um, maybe for people with vulvas, it's around their period or something like that. But that's kind of as far as it goes. Um, I know my parents really weren't up for that conversation when they assumed I was straight and even less so once I'd come out. So we really wanted to create a, a website um, that did have that informed kind of content from community members um, that can be accessed um, for free. There are some existing resources in that space, but a lot of them do, particularly for queer-related subject matters. They relate a lot to STIs, STDs, HIV, you know, the AIDS crisis, that sort of content. And I really wanted to move away from that. And that can be a part of the larger side and conversations about those things are really important but I think we're trying to come at it from a sort of non-biased non-government informed or policy informed perspective and just having a community resource that felt you know fun and easy to read and accessible and that's what we were trying to create with the drip feed
0: Went yeah a a I tangent think you...
1: there. Sorry no a no that, that was my that was
0: amazing because I obviously like I've tried your products they're amazing the especially the packaging too like it is beautiful packaging and your website like I loved going through and reading all of the articles because they were from such diverse writers and they the way they can just articulate what they are talking about was just beautifully written all of them and it was nice to just see I guess their perspectives and writing like that because I feel like you don't really come across it that often to be honest so that was great haven't checked out the Spotify playlist that will be next so we're doing that right after this and trying that out um but yeah I really appreciate you delving into that and especially sharing um your coming out story and how that relates to then I guess how you've got to where you are today and building what you have I'm intrigued I guess like at that time when you were uh, like you know 18 coming out delving into queer sex where like did you learn about queer sex were there any resources or was it having to learn from other people within the community?
1: Yeah it's a really good question Um, I think everyone's experience is very different Um, I had a very like privileged uh, coming out experience I didn't get I don't know, kicked out of home or much adversity within my family. Um, uh, Yeah, everyone was sort of like a little bit surprised, but not um, sort of upset or overly emotional or um, anything to make them do anything uh, sort of irrational. Um, I didn't have a religious upbringing or anything like that. So it wasn't like I was, I don't know, a a large shame around the family, other than just like the standard amount of shame that, okay, okay child I bring a family in Australia, uh, but it wasn't particularly um, bad. But something I was really aware of was the lack of um, sort of elders that were accessible in that space. Um, so for me, um, I probably was much more drawn um, to having sex with people who were kind of elders in the space. Um, I was 18 and I was, you know, maybe sleeping with 30 or 40 year olds um, because they didn't have the same amount of sort of shame or um, feelings about um, what we were doing in the way that I did. And that really helped me work through. Yeah. It's, it's really um, kissing a man for the first time is, is really scary. Um, when you haven't done that before and you've sort of thought about it every, you know, every minute of every day for most of your life and then um, actually coming to that, let alone, you know, having oral sex or anal sex or any of the things that come with that. And then the practices around that, so much is informed by porn, which, um, you know, a lot of queer people use porn in a really uh, proactive or positive way, I think. And it, 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 depending on the relationship you have with it, um, it can be a really good thing. Uh, However, um, obviously it's very unrealistic in um, even things like preparation for anal sex, you know. Um, You don't realise that the the actors in that film have been starving themselves for the day so um, they don't have any, you know, digestion issues um, in those films. Um, Similarly, you know, the... I don't know the use of um, ED meds in either injectable forms or, to, or ED being uh, erectile dysfunction, or you know pills like Viagra or um, other such products are used very commonly in gay porn, uh, and therefore you know people are always hard, you know people are always clean. There's a lot of things that um, that don't talk about that in the preparation that's gone into that. So then when you're coming at it for the first time, and I grew up um, where I was looking at like image. <laughs> image-based pornography before, um, you know, on my like fax modem uh, on the family computer that we had (laughs) that I would try and clear the history or the cache of um, thinking I was knowing what I'm, you know, kind of clearing my tracks or whatever. Um, So yeah, there was a real lack of of, of information out there, The probably the one thing that I, and this is quite universal for a lot of gay men that are my age, but um, on SBS there was a show called Queer as Folk, which was on Monday nights at nine forty-five um, for most of the early two thousands, and I would try and like sneak down into my basement and watch that um, on the screen, just because there was that was the only visual or um, understanding of any queer life that I could see. There wasn't, you know, we're talking before Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and and everything that exists now in terms of visibility and access. There was just none of that. So growing up in the suburbs, it could feel incredibly isolating to be, um, you know, alone in your thoughts. And then even once I had come out and sort of announced this thing, um, there was a real, you know, oh, well, what now? Um, and I kind of described that those probably those first five years is being on a bit of a like yellow brick road where you know you're um, walking down it with a picnic basket uh, and you meet people along the way and you and they have picnic baskets on them as well and um, you sit down and you open your picnic basket and you see you know what they've got in theirs and what you've got in yours and you sort of swap a couple of things you try something with them for the first time that you may really really enjoy and you kind of adopt that and put it into your you know picnic basket or you just go oh that was not my vibe at all um, and you you know throw that out and then you move on to the next kind of person or experience or relationship or whatever and as you kind of develop or go down this path over be it weeks or months or years depending on the person's appetite for that kind of exploration and growth you then sort of start to develop up what it is that you're into um, and that's a very common conversation for queer men to have with one another because there's an immediate conversation around consent that needs to take place that probably doesn't need to take place in the way that it does with straight people Uh, and again i've never um i've never had sex with a woman so i don't really know i'm just making assumptions about what happens between straight people but there is a very um you know in inverted commas natural or regular way of um you know a p in v sex with cishet People um, that can take place, and there doesn't really need to be a conversation. When with gay men, you automatically need to um, say, "Okay, cool. Are you, are you a top, uh, a bottom? Are you verse, or are you a side?" Uh, and those are the four sort of main roles that you can be very strict with, or you can be very fluid with. Um, and depending on your mood or your, um, you know, physiological body, um, can sort of prefer one or, or multiple versions of that. Um, And those conversations take place really kind of naturally for gay men Um, and uh, even in spaces where conversation doesn't take place, um, be it a sex on premise venue or maybe a cruising kind of uh, location, which I'm assuming you're across what both of those Mm -hmm. things are emily um but in those in those moments there's a a, a consensual conversation that takes place that's non-verbal um and is all about tone and reading each other's body language um and yeah those are all um, amazing privileges that gay men get or can have access to should they choose to Um, and they can be really educational spaces um and experiences as well where you're like okay cool i understand that that was something that I wasn't meant to do or I shouldn't have, I I, I would have liked to have done more of that or being able to communicate that without words um, is really um, unique as well. Anyway, I went on a bit of a tangent there. Um, I think, yeah, your initial question um, was, yeah, how we got, how did we get there?
0: From uh, how did you learn about how to have queer sex?
1: Right, right. Right. So, yeah, I guess it's um, through, to be honest, a lot of the time I was probably out drunk, um, you know, drinking cheap beer or I don't know, um, yeah, going out to nightclubs or bars. Um, I think the community, I mean, this was sort of in the early 2000s app culture didn't really exist yet. So you weren't, you know, the gay bar was like a thriving environment um, when now I think a lot of people probably use apps Um, and technology platforms for their, you know, seeking out partners. I wasn't – I didn't have that um, when I was growing up, so it was very much about going out so you could meet people to then, you know, have sex with. I think um, those weren't necessarily all the best experiences. Often, you know, being young, uh, you're probably a lot more vulnerable and inexperienced in those environments. You then drink a lot more because you're nervous or anxious or whatever, um, and then that leads to, like, yeah – I guess you can't give consent when you're intoxicated. So most of the experiences I probably had in that time were non-consensual because I was totally intoxicated um, and I didn't really have anyone telling me that that was unsafe or that maybe try something else. It was like, you know, get as um, kind of drunk as you can as quickly as possible and try and find, you know, and find someone to, you know, kiss on a dance floor that hopefully leads to you know, having sex with them at some later point in the night, um, which, yeah, those, I mean, those are sort of, uh, in, yeah, informing things, you know, decisions you make later, but they're probably, um, yeah, they're probably not the best experiences, which is why, uh, the website that, um, or the drip feed is really trying to, yeah, maybe guide people in a little bit of a, in, a, in a, with a, you know, sober, um, a non-biased lens trying to introduce the ideas of exploration or about certain sexual practices which was something that they just didn't exist when I was was growing up so it didn't feel like there were many other options other than going okay cool go to this bar you know drink uh drink this amount and then kind of hope for the best um which is just a really bad way of going about um things but mm-hmm. that was sort of the norm I think
0: yeah, and I still feel like it's somewhat of the norm still today, even myself. All the beginning of, like, my queer journey, I was heavily intoxicated. Like, I was so terrified mm. to have sex with a woman, so I was like, I can't do that. <laughs> I was like, absolutely not. Yeah. So involved being intoxicated or going to a sex party, and obviously it's BYO, getting really intoxicated and that I feel like is how a lot of queer people also, you know, do start out is, you know, getting intoxicated, being in that scene. And because it is also so much fun at the time when you are, you know, feeling liberated. And obviously when you're intoxicated on drugs, you feel like a shell comes down and you can, you know, express yourself more within these spaces. Um, So I think it's a really common experience. So it's great that there are a lot more resources coming out to, I guess, guide us for for those you know sober experiences and hopefully being able to learn Mm. sober not having to take those paths because they can be really harmful and as you said like there are times you're like i was absolutely obliterated like there's no way that was actually consensual Mm. um but it's a really messy area and it's i guess I was having this conversation the other day with some friends who um, they're all hetero and not really across the queer community too much and we're talking about consent and as you were saying like within queer sex there's a lot more conversation about consent purely like you know with just how are we actually going to have sex and I said to them like when have you ever had sex with a man and said okay who's being penetrated? And they were like, never. <laughs> like, mm. there's just, you know, there's this script that we follow um, and there's mm. no questions asked. We just know that it kind of goes like this and maybe the one thing that might be up for debate is whether there's going to be oral sex or not. But the rest of it is pretty much mm. straightforward. Whereas when it comes to yeah, mm. queer sex, you do have to ask so many more questions because everybody wants to have sex differently.
1: mm." Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think, um, yeah, that also starts to inform the sort of partners that you choose because you obviously want someone to, you know, like the puzzle piece or the dovetail to work with what your um, interests are. Um, So, yeah, that's a that's a privilege, I guess, um, in being able to have those conversations and um I have yeah like I've got two straight older brothers who are both married with kids and I don't know that they would have had any of those conversations with um their partners or people over that period of you know over over their lives um and we had the very same upbringing we probably have you know very similar ideas around um yeah the way we were raised or the education that we received in this space. You know, I feel very privileged to have experienced a lot more um, experiences of, of consent and, um, and yeah, I guess what do you call that sex positivity or liberation? Or, mm. um, whatever it is.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'd love to talk about your lubes at drip. And one thing that I thought was interesting, which I didn't actually know, I guess, like, the answer to myself, because I hadn't hadn't had these conversations, but with the, like, cis-hetero community, I feel like there's a lot of shame around using lube. Like, you know, they think that, you know, a vulva should just lubricate and there could be that shame. Is that the same in the queer community?
1: Not at all. I mean, obviously, there's no – so, firstly, I'm only talking about gay men, right, because I don't Mm -hmm. know. I've never had sex with two women or – Yeah, I'll only speak about my experiences, but um, I think lube is a very normal, common thing. I think most, um, obviously, an anus is not self lubricating. Um, You can use spit, um, but spit also kind of runs out after a period of time, or it might, it dries out as well. So I don't think I've ever been, oh, maybe it's, I would say 95% of my sexual experiences have. Lube has been available if not used. Um, so, whether it be a hookup or um, a, a relationship or any of those situations, lube is very present and there's no, it's definitely no shame around using it at all. Um, people have different um, preferences, I guess, in terms of um, the types of lube they use, but also the quantity or the amount. Some people prefer a much more friction or friction is frictitious a word, um, a much more friction experience. Um, I think it also depends on whether the partners are circumcised or uncircumcised, um, and that can also play into that with with men or with people with penises. Um, So, yeah, I don't think – I was actually surprised and very inexperienced with vulvas and women – Um, but I was very surprised that there was this, um, layer of shame that a lot of people with vulvas experience when it comes to, um, lube or comes to sex and that there's an expectation. And I guess this is like a gross patriarchal societal expectation Mm. or whatever that, um, is just there where, um, yeah, there is a, a degree of like arousal that takes place, um, and that women would get wet. Um, I mean, men, Some men uh, or some people with penises experience a similar thing with pre cum, um, in that some people, you know, kind of leak or or, I don't know, it just starts kind of flowing as soon as they're aroused. Um, Maybe in a similar way with um, uh, people with vulvas, you don't need as much, or you can use that pre cum or whatever as the, you know, as a substitute of, of lube. But it's definitely not uh, – there's no shame if someone doesn't pre-gum. Uh, I've never been in a situation where people are, um, I don't know, upset or, um, uh, yeah, uh, disappointed by the partner who hasn't been able to, um, in inverted commas, self-lubricate. Um, or, yeah, be that the, 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 the passive or the active partner.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think it's something that it's definitely improving, and I don't know if it's also just something with age. Like I know, like especially like let's say teenagers having sex, people in their early twenties, where it's like, oh no, it should just work, especially like heterosexual, but it should just go together and it work. Or there's this idea of um like non concordance, where like if you're you know you feel aroused, but your vulva is just not doing doing its thing it's just not getting wet and then like um i've heard people make comments so they're like you know they'll touch their bulb like oh are you not turned on like no i'm yes i am i'm telling you yes Mm. but their valve is just not responding Mm. in the way that they want it to And especially when you go through things like menopause or breastfeeding or all these different things that can happen and your body might have worked a certain Mm. way for some time and now it's not and that's where lube is so important so like I think just having a big stash like of all different types of lube, like oil, silicon, water-based, so you can use what feels best. And also during solo play, I'm always amazed by how many vulva owners do not use lube during solo play. I'm like, what are you doing? Mm. Like, it feels so much better. But they just you know, whip out their vibrator or whatever they're using um, and don't use lube with it, which I'm always so surprised by.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, and it, particularly with the solo play, because you're like, well, there's no one, no one's around to kind of judge you as to whether what you do with mm. yourself in that environment. I think maybe there's a similar expectation with men or with people with penises and and getting hard. You know, like maintaining an erection yes. feels like in the same way that you were just saying that a partner might say to you like, oh, is something wrong? Are you not aroused when you say, no, 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 I am, but you're not, you know, your vulva isn't responding in that way. It's the same thing with an erection. You can be incredibly aroused and, you know, for nervousness or, um, uh, yeah, anxiety or uh, whatever reason you aren't um, maintaining or keeping an erection. And there's a real expectation too now, um, and you've seen this with the deregulation of, um, or the, the patent coming off of, of products like Viagra um, that are becoming quite universally used now that um, a young, you know, young men who um, may be experiencing symptoms of erectile dysfunction are only experiencing it because they're say nervous or it's their first time, mm-hmm. or they don't know the partner that they're with and they don't have that rapport or trust. And um, however, there is definitely an export from, uh, chatting to people and this hasn't been my experience because um again haven't haven't had sex with women but there's certainly an expectation that a lot of um women in that situation will will see that as a reflection of themselves or as a reflection yeah. of their partner and the, the chemistry that they have if that partner can't um, maintain an erection or you know um uh, even orgasm like there's an expectation that they you know you need to uh, start soft get hard um you know Fuck for a period of time and not come and then come and that finish. Um, when those steps are probably not, um, yeah, that's just not how things go. But a lot of um, culture and I guess porn and all sorts of stuff has contributed to us having that narrative as to that should be the the way that things happen, and that creates expectations for both partners, be that male part, male and male partners or female uh, female and male partners people. Yeah, dances. absolutely.
0: And I find that's a big issue. I think it also just comes back to that like lack of sex education and conversation around pleasure because mm. you don't need an erect penis to experience pleasure or be sexual or, you know, even have sex because sex is so diverse in how it looks. Um and then mm. yeah, it a lot of the time, like i've seen it so many times of women they, they put that even i've done it in the past like they can't get directions like oh what's, what's wrong with me or if they can't come it's like oh it's it's something about me mm. like i'm i'm the problem even though that's not the case mm. at all
1: it's interesting though because that's really hard to um it's hard to remove your own like ego in that moment right yeah. too from it in the sense that if you are the partner who's on the um receiving end, or, or you're the one who's trying to arouse their partner with a penis um, and that's just not happening for them or you're not seeing that, um, yeah, there's all sorts of sort of self-reflection and, and um, yeah, um, I think too it's usually quite an emotionally charged moment, right? Yeah. You're feeling mm-hmm. super aroused or turned on or they are or there's lots of, you know, testosterone or estrogen sort of f- flowing um, mm-hmm. and those moments can, um, yeah, be really delicate for people that um, people feel vulnerable in those moments and um, that vulnerability isn't necessarily, um, yeah, kind of captured or um, cared for in the way that it should be um, with, particularly with anonymous type interactions. Yeah. Um, But even in longer term, you know, relationship type interactions as well. Um, And the way we have sex seems to be changing so much in um, app pickup culture and, um the sort of transactional nature of it and the the idea of people performing um
0: uh, no matter what their anatomy
1: but they're you know be it um people with vulvas getting say wet in inverted commas or people with penises getting hard and you know having an orgasm or all these sorts of things um are probably uh s- things that are um learnt and are practiced over time um and practiced with you know, people that you trust and people that maybe you love. Um, and now I feel like there's a new generation of people coming into these um, into this space um, that don't uh, – that, that have a huge social expectations on them um, around that type of performance. And we're getting fed that in the media as well where, you know, it's not uncommon for there to be ED med ads during like the footy, for example, mm-hmm. which I don't know, a lot of young men are watching – Um, and expecting uh, they're talking about you know men's health and all of these kind of buzzwords that um, are starting to inform the psychology of how a man feels about himself um, as a young man um, or as a young person with a penis and how they should be performing um, when it comes to sex and I think that it's interesting Viagra as a drug was sort of developed up for people in their sort of 60s 70s you Mm -hmm. know people who um, are at the at the end of their sexual experiences and want to maintain um, that kind of sex. And there's a bodily function that no longer works in the same way it used to. um, And they want to get back to it working how it was. Uh, But in the last sort of decades or even two decades, that's really shifted to, oh no, you should be taking it if you're 20 and nervous, or you should be taking it if you're, you know, um, experiencing any sort of symptoms of those types, um, type of thing that's inhibiting you from, Having insertive, penetrative sex, um, when I don't think anyone's looking at well, why is the individual not experiencing those types of erections? And it's not a physiological. Well, most of the time it's not a physiological thing when a person's mm-hmm. that young because they still have plenty of testosterone, you know, pumping through their body. Um, it's actually got to do with more emotional stuff or stuff around um, trust or rapport or um, whatever it is. Um, and I don't. I think now we're not. Um, yeah the, the expectation of those um, types of sexual interactions have really changed um, and yeah I feel like there's a generation of um, younger people with penises or men um, that experience that and it's not necessarily spoken about um, at all which is maybe similar to the conversation we were having about lube and people with vulvas.
0: Yeah absolutely and I think it um, with the current medical system, because they love to just put a band aid on things, like oh, here's a here's a pill, this will fix it. Um, and because a lot of, especially when it comes to just our, you know, our general GPs, they've had like not even a day on sex head, and they, mm. you know, aren't even aware really of the psychological side of when it comes to erections. And I, I think it's really common. We're like, oh, here's this pill, it will fix it. This is easy. Um, instead of being like, all right, let's actually look at the root cause of this. And especially if they go and see somebody like a sexologist, sex therapist, they're going to have so many different conversations that it's not only going to help them with getting an erection, but, you know, the sex that they have in general and challenging everything that they've been taught to help them unlearn any misinformation. Um, and just, there's just so many benefits to that. Um, so I, yeah, I just wish that I guess there was more conversations around, yeah, erections and what, I guess, mm. contributes to that and the different options that there are instead of just take this pill and then because that can exacerbate the problem in a way of if I don't have this pill with me, I'm not going to be able to get an erection and then it's, you know, that psychological side is totally, just Totally, becomes exacerbated. psychosomatic. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I would love to know and talk about some of your orgasmic and not-so-orgasmic sexual experiences. I love talking about these juicy questions. So, first question, I'd love to know about your most orgasmic experience.
1: Um, that's really, um... Well, wow, there's lots, right? The, yeah. the one that comes to mind that has nothing to do with sex is I have a, um, and I've spoken to my GP about this, but I have an allergic reaction to sugar, like really mm-hmm. sweet things. Um, I get tingles in my forehead and down my back and then my nipples go hard. So, and this has been since I was like a teenager, um, but when I have like a really good dessert, like a lemon tart or like a lemon meringue pie or like a tiramisu or something that's like, super sweet and rich. Um, I yeah I get I get shivers all in my forehead or tingles um, and then it goes down my spine and then my nipples go hard which my whole family know about and we talk about like if we ever go out for dinner and we have dessert they're like hey how's the dessert Hugh and, and they'll look at my um, look at my shirt and usually I've got hard nipples which is super super weird um, and I've talked to the doctor about it trying to work out why or whatever anyway apparently it's an allergic reaction so that was the first um, that was the first one that comes to mind it doesn't necessarily feel arousing but it definitely is weirdly um mm-hmm. like I don't know pleasurable or it feels like my nipples yeah. are going hard and I didn't really get to choose that <laughs> it's yeah. just like an intuitive response um I think something that I really enjoy is um a real diverse experience um of uh, like uh, sensorial experience so that can be really delicate kind of tickle type touch um, and then it can go into, you know, much, um, sort of temperature related stuff around breath and, um, closeness. And then that can be, you know, go into like more p- pain type or, a, you know, higher tension type play as well. And having all of that, um, within the one experience and bouncing between that, like a bit of a pinball machine, I find to be, um, uh, you know, orgasmic. Um, and yeah, I really enjoy that, um, kind of diversity within the one experience Mm -hmm. where at times you're feeling kind of quite heightened at times you're feeling super, super relaxed and mellow um, and that you can bounce between all of those in the same experience. I find, you know, like a feather type touch all the way through to like, um, you know, much more inertia um, or um, pressure being applied in different circumstances. I find all of that wrapped into the kind of one, you get a lot, a lot of that type of experience when, experiencing really good massage or erotic Mm -hmm. massage um i think that those types of um yeah depending on the practitioner and if they're really good some of the best massages i've ever had have sort of gone that whole realm of like you know feeling tickles and tingles all the way through to sort of feeling um a a degree of pain that um you know all consensual uh, amounts of pain yeah um, i find those experiences to be really embodied and um pleasurable and they don't necessarily result in like orgasm when you say orgasmic
0: mm, no no and like i just use orgasmic not purely f- like for actual orgasms but just you know embodying that like experience uh, but it was just making me think of i was watching a dominatrix once um on spanking and I then went and practiced it at home but the going between having that like impact but then lightly touching over where has been impacted Mm. and that the difference of those two sensations and obviously that light feeling afterwards feels so intense because you've just had this impact Mm. um so that's yeah when you were talking about that that was the first thing that came to my mind and how good that feels
1: Mm. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I mean, flogging or impact play uh, then sort of juxtaposed against um, super delicate light kind of um, practices and then bouncing between them, I think um, is a really, yeah, is something that, um, yeah, kind of makes you feel like a little kid, right? Like you're sort of like excited and nervous about it all um, at the same time. yeah Yeah, absolutely
0: yeah what about some things that make sex not so orgasmic do you have any turn-offs or anything that you're just like "Ah, not about that um yeah
1: i mean obviously if the vibe changes with a partner and how they respond to that i think that can be a real um turn on or turn off rather so um if you want to try something and they sort of yuck your yum a little bit Mm -hmm. um i think i find that to be a bit of a turn off um and it sort of disengages you from them um i think when someone acts really um without any shame and liberation i find that to be Um, incredibly inspiring and arousing. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, often a lot of gay men bring, you know, whatever experience they've had in their upbringing or the way they feel about themselves and their sexuality, um, that can really shine through. So when you are with someone who is incredibly liberated um, and doesn't feel, you know, shame or um, ickiness around any of the experiences that you're having together, I find that to be really inspiring or arousing Um, and yeah the alternative of that I guess is um, when they do have all of that then I find that to be um, yeah just a bit of a a downer. Um, I think that where everyone is um, the the way that our society or um, the patriarchy works is that the default is to have shame around gay sex. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you know seeing two men kiss on the street say is not something that you see Uh, that often or something that that kind of affection that you um you know haven't seen in i don't know disney movies or in kind of common media and therefore um our default is to have a little bit of shame or um, angst around those sorts of public displays of affection or or people being two men being affectionate with one another that's the default so anyone that's worked through that type of stuff i find um and that's a journey and it takes time some people that doesn't take time at all they're quite liberated quite early on and, and don't really feel that level of shame or stigma um, and other people have a much more um yeah a sh- or struggle or, or take more time when it comes to um shifting uh that dial and i think i find the latter um group a lot more um inspiring or arousing or um orgasmic um because yeah that's somewhere where i and, and this is something that you can always continue to work on, um, but that's somewhere where I want to be or had have, have wanted to be um, as a younger person and being able to be that now. Um, yeah, I find that definitely um, inspiring.
0: Yeah. Now, my final question I always ask everybody is, this is like a real general, what's something that's orgasmic to you, like sexual or not. Obviously you talked about your sugar allergy, which might be that. uh, But if there's anything else that, you know, just within your life that is orgasmic to you.
1: I find the ritual of like bathing really um, great. Yeah. I don't know if I would describe it as orgasmic, but certainly like um, spent quite a bit of time in Japan. They have a very big kind of bathing Mm -hmm. culture. Um, but that uh, whole experience of um, being immersed in water or a sauna or a steam bath or any of that sort of stuff um, I really really enjoy I feel like I'm uh, yeah if I've got that in my day then I'm really thrilled about the day Um, I don't have a sauna uh, at home or anything but I just um, I seek out those sort of experiences because they feel quite um, yeah, super embodied, I think is probably the way I'd describe it. Um, not necessarily orgasmic, but, um, yeah, th- things like breath-, breath, work, cold ice baths, all of that type of stuff. I'm a huge fan of, um, and love that because it does, It kind of calms your central nervous system and you feel, um, yeah, quite like, um, level or focused. Um, yeah. Which is probably, um, what you're, yeah. What you're describing. What about yourself? Do you have one? um, Oh, so
0: many things. (laughs) Um, Something that's orgasmic. I'm trying to think what's orgasmic tweet at the moment. Last night, which was I did my first double cleansing with an oil cleanser first, and all of my, like, pores were, like, spotless afterwards, and I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. (laughs) I was like, how have I not done this before? So... That's probably the past 24 hours, my most, like, orgasmic experience mm-hmm. that I've had because it changes, honestly, day to day and because I ask this question in every interview. Mm. It's just, it's so diverse and I'm constantly, even myself, evolving yep. in what that is.
1: Yeah, great. Beautiful.
0: Awesome. So, I'd love to know, where can we find your content, drip? Where do we go to get more?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, Instagram is probably the most common uh, platform. We do get shadow banned and blocked on there a lot. Yep. Uh, so Same. you might struggle to find us, but you can find us at drip, D R I P, feed, F E E D, all one word, dot life, L I F E, uh, on Instagram, or you can find us at www.dripfeed.com.au or dot life or for the website. Um, our products are available, um, more and more available in pharmacies. Um, we're slowly working out. Um, partners who um, are willing to stock the range. So uh, in Queensland, uh, there's a pharmacy group called ChemPro. We're available in all of their stores. Um, You can find us online on Chemist Warehouse's website. You can find us on our website, but then also adult retailers. Um, A shout-out to a couple, um, Danish Blue in Melbourne, which is in St Kilda, South Melbourne, Uh, uh, Eagle Leather in Abbotsford in Melbourne. Uh, If you're in Sydney, Pleasure Chest, um, in Haymarket uh, in Sydney, uh, which is an amazing 24-hour store um, that it's never closes. It's open every day of the year. Uh, if you're looking for our products, I believe they do on lots of really good uh, sort of quick online delivery as well. Um, you can get us uh, in most Club X's, Sexyland, um, a couple of different of those, those sort of larger chains as well. Um, we also deliver from our website if people um, want to, um, yeah, buy online. Um, the content is all free. We release it um, sort of fortnightly, so usually a mix uh, once a month and then a, a piece of written content as well. Um, there's a whole backlog and archive of pieces you can read, and they're all informed by our community contributors. There's a contributor page as well if you ever want to access um, the services that people offer, so be it a sexologist or a therapist or a psychologist or academic. You can find their handles and everything on our website on the About page. So that kind of provides people with another layer of resource if they're interested in, in engaging or learning more about this type of stuff.
0: Yeah, amazing. And I'm so glad to hear that it's going into pharmacies because I hate how in like pharmacies and supermarkets most of the lube have like glycerin or just some nasty things in there. So it's so nice to see that we're getting some good quality lubes in there.
1: Yeah, I totally agree, Emily. It's um, yeah, the options are just dire and it's weird that yep. no one's find it strange that no one demands more of those environments Mm -hmm. like why do we just accept that you know you should use really yuck sticky tacky gross products and that's what's kind of the standard when people have such high expectations of like their face cream or their hand cream or whatever then when it comes to lube they don't um anyway hopefully we're starting to change people's um ideas of what that can be
0: yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I've absolutely loved this conversation.
1: Um, yeah, thank you, Emily. And congratulations on, uh, what, three years now of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I know what it's like to have to put content together um, and it takes, uh, yeah, it takes a long time and a lot of effort. So congratulations on um, yeah, what you've created. <gasps>